And now, a message from Pastor Michael Carmody. We have been uh, in this series during Advent, which by the way, that term Advent is um, a season of time that kind of leads up to the celebration of the birth of Christ at Christmas time. But we celebrate the birth of Jesus all the time, right? Um, But in this season of Advent, we have been studying uh, the series or covering the series called Make Room. And it kind of goes back to the story that we just watched professionally played out before us on the screen. Um, This idea of Jesus having been born in a stable because there was no room in the inn. And that's just kind of become a a thing. There was no room in the inn, right? Everybody kind of knows that term. Do you think that if some of those innkeepers in that day would have known exactly what was happening, that they were actually turning away the one who's going to give birth to the Savior of the world, that they might have made a different decision? If they realized that people were still talking about innkeepers a couple thousand years later and not being room in the inn, right? Uh, they probably might have been able to make room somewhere for him. Anyway, our series is kind of along that line of making room, finding ways to make room. Uh, Jesus has made room in his life for us. And we need to learn how to make room for him in our lives as well. And I say learn because it really is a skill that can be learned. Serving God is a skill that can be learned. We can get better at it. We can get better at making room for God in our lives. Y'all with me on that? And so this whole idea, this whole series that uh, we're not really finishing it today. uh, We're going to be talking about this again on on Christmas Eve. We want you to come uh, to either the 5 or the 7 o'clock service on Christmas Eve so we can finish this message and you can be a part of that. Or watch online like folks are doing today. That's good too. But it's always good to have you here. It's good to be able to see your face and shake your hand and give you a hug and say hi. So if you can be here on Christmas Eve, we'll finish up this message of making room. But really when when you think about this, uh, there was no room in the end. And again, I'm just going to say this. If we realize sometimes how important a moment is in our lives, maybe we'd make different decisions, different choices. I'm pretty sure there was an end somewhere. I'm pretty sure there was someplace inside where Jesus could be born. So why was he born in a manger? Because God was sending a message that this child would come humbly even though he's the king of the whole world, that he didn't need a palace to be born in. He would come humbly, and he would make a difference for all people. He would change the history of the world. He would change what it means to be human for all people, Jews and Gentiles. Today, we sit back on comfortable chairs in a nice, warm sanctuary on a Sunday morning and say, thank God he did, because what he's done for us way back then is affecting us today and affects us every day of our lives. He made room for us in his life. And we want to do the same. We want to make room for him. And so this series, Make Room, is really about that. And we, we kind of launched this by talking about, uh, you know, first of all, that whole concept of making room. Um, this, this idea of becoming too busy. Pastor Josh had shared that thought of being too busy. Busy and should. We become so busy sometimes that we miss what we should do. Anybody agree with that? We get busy doing stuff. And I'll come back, I'm going to come back to that thought again. I just kind of wanted to throw it out there. And this time of year especially, it just seems like we can get so busy. So much stuff going on. My wife refuses to use that word busy. She says it's a four-letter word. She doesn't want to cuss in church, so she doesn't say the word busy. Uh, but we do get busy sometimes, and sometimes the busyness keeps us from doing what we should do. And so we think about that, that whole idea of making room, making time, preparing a place. Um, And so we talked about room for Bible engagement, making time in our lives to be able to look at the Scripture. If we think about the Word of God for what it is, it is a letter written to us from the heart of God to teach us how He interacts with His people. 
And the Old Testament is God's dealing with the nation of Israel. The New Testament is God's dealing with the followers of Jesus Christ, us. And so when we read in the New Testament, we read about how Jesus interacts, how God interacts with those of us who are followers of Jesus. So it becomes an important book for us to understand. When we read the Bible, we learn things, we gather information, and we uh, really, in some ways, we keep ourselves from being deceived by knowing what the Bible actually teaches. And we talked about the importance of prayer, making room for prayer in our lives. It takes time to set time aside for prayer. And sometimes we get busy doing other things, and we know we should pray, Anybody with me on that? But we just got so many things to do that it's hard to really press through and get into that secret place and really pray. And so maybe we'll mouth the Lord's prayer or we'll utter some kind of a quick prayer over a meal or something, but to really stop and think about connecting with God through prayer, that takes time. And sometimes we're just too busy to do that. Am I right about it? And so then last week when we were talking about the, the importance of the model prayer, and we watched that great uh, prayer demonstrated for us on the video, uh, boogity, boogity, boogity. We, we know that um, when, when we pray, God hears. When God hears, things change. And if you don't catch that reference, watch the service from last week, okay? So make room. Everybody say those two words with me. Make room. Make room. Right. So that word make is an active word. It's a verb. When you make something, you have to do something. If uh, you're going to make a meal for someone, does that require some effort? I mean, you know, unless you're getting it catered, then you're not making a meal. You're catering. You're having a meal catered, right? But if you're making a meal, it's going to require some effort. It's going to take some time, is it not? If you're going to make a dollhouse for your daughter or granddaughter, and you're going to make this out of wood, you're going to, you're going to make it, does that just happen? No, of course not. What happens? You have to construct it. You have to cut. You have to build. You have to design. Uh, maybe put together a blueprint. You've got to do something to, give you, to, to, do, to make something happen. You've got to do it. Make doesn't just happen. Y'all with me on that? Um, so again, uh, some effort is required. We have to do something. So when we say make room, are we saying that we're going to have to do something? Are we going to have to put forth some kind of effort? Is there a requirement on our part for that room to happen? Is there just automatically going to be room and space in my life for Bible reading and prayer if I don't make it happen? It's probably not going to happen. I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for 34 years, almost 35 years, actually longer than that, but here for that long. And you know what I've learned as a pastor? I have to make time to read the Bible. I have to make time to pray. I have to make time to connect with people because if I don't, it will not automatically happen. I can fill my life with all kinds of busy stuff and not do the things that are truly important if I'm not careful. So we have to make, everybody say make time. So I wanted to give you a quick definition of this word make. I know this will be exciting for you. This is great doctrine. So check out this word make. To form something by putting parts together or combining substances. So let's pause there for a second. Making room, would that require me to put something together? Maybe put together a plan that I'm going to spend this much time. I find some combining some substances like time, like desire, like a purpose. A mission, I put all that together and I find a moment to get away, to get aside, to pray or to read the Bible. I've got to compose something. I've got to create. I've got to, as it says here, construct, create, fabricate, produce. Listen, the time that we need to connect with God will not automatically happen. If we don't make the time, the time will just evaporate. Yeah. I like to say it this way. Time and money are two things that if you don't tell them where to go, you wonder where they went. Yeah. Yeah. Right? 
If you don't tell your time where to go, you wonder where it went. I don't know how I got this old. I mean, right? I mean, it's crazy. I, sometimes I still feel like a 20-year-old. Then I go to a you know, church picnic and play volleyball for three hours. And the next day is, oh, yeah, 63. Yep, I remember now. You know, we, I don't know how this happens. Actually, I do know how it happened. I've gotten this old because I haven't died yet. So that's how that works. But, you know, time just kind of moves. And if we don't set priorities with our time, it's just going to get eaten up with other things. And we're not going to find the time to make room for prayer, to make room for Bible study, to make room for God in our lives. So when we talk about this series, Making Room, here's what, we're really, here's what we're really talking about when we say make room. Check this out on the screen. Make room literally means this, to actively and intentionally carve out time and space in our daily lives for the things that truly matter, especially carve out time and space in our daily lives for God. That's making room. Finding time and space and it's not missing. The time and space is not missing. It's not like when I say find time and space, it's like, oh, where's that missing time? I've got to find that. So we create it. We create it by scheduling, by, by putting pro- product, by putting a process together wow. and coming up with a plan. If I don't plan to do these things, I will live through this entire Advent season and the rest of my life without ever doing them. But if I plan, then I can make room for these things. You all with me? <laughs> So I mentioned busy and should earlier. Busy can make us feel like we're doing important things. But busy might keep us from doing the things that we know we should do. Everybody say busy and should. Busy is the enemy of should. Busy steals the time and energy that we need to do the things that we should do. How many know you should probably take some time to pray every day? Read the Bible every day. But how many of you also know that sometimes we get just too busy? It's just another thing on the list, right? This is the only thing on the list that will actually refresh us. It's the only thing on the list that will actually give us time back. I don't know how it works, but it does. So here's the thing. When we stay too busy, we don't have the time and space in our lives to do what we know we should. The result of that is regret. At some point, we will regret that we didn't make the time and space to do the things that we knew we should do. And whether that's prayer and Bible reading or interaction with other people or something with our children or our parents or some kind of engagement with family or friends or whatever, at some point we will regret the fact that never heard anybody on their deathbed say, I wish I would have worked harder, wish I would have worked longer hours, wish I would have made more money. But I've heard people say things like, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. Think about the things that are truly important. What is it that really matters in our lives. And specifically, we're talking about this making room for God. If we don't, we will regret it. We won't have the tools that we need when situations come along that we need to get through. We won't have the tools that we need because we didn't do what we should because we were too busy doing things we didn't need to do. I understand your response. It's all good. So the result is regret. What's the remedy? The remedy is to make room, to actually do it, to make room, to free ourselves I'm going to say it this way, to free ourselves from the trap of being too busy to enjoy life, to enjoy the creator who gave us life, and to enjoy the people that God put in our lives. Yeah. We stop being too busy, we free ourselves from that trap. I wanted to read a verse from Proverbs 27, 17 in uh, the voice translation. It's kind of a, it's just a short passage, but it's a very good passage. Listen up. In the same way that iron sharpens iron... A person sharpens the character of his friend. 
Do you know why I need friends? Do you know why I need contact with other people in the kingdom and, and even people outside the kingdom? But do you know why I need that contact? you know why I need friends? Because my character needs sharpening. Yeah. And friends do that. People do that. People can speak into your life. They can call you on things that you need to be called on. They can encourage you in moments when you need to be encouraged. When uh, there's a scripture that talks about if two stand together, they can defeat an enemy. One by himself will fall, and a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. We need one another. We need this connection. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today is this idea is iron sharpens iron. Why do you sharpen iron? Why do you sharpen the blade on a saw or the blade on an axe? You sharpen it to make it sharper, right? And when it's sharper, it's more effective. It's more productive. It's more useful. In his uh, best-selling books, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey identified seven habits that highly effective people do and do consistently. The very last one, number seven, if you read the book, say it with me, is sharpen the saw. And the idea of sharpen the saw is this. If I'm cutting with a dull saw, I'm putting forth a lot of energy, a lot of effort, I'm trying really hard, and what's happening? Not much. I take a few seconds to take that saw in and sharpen it, and I come back, a couple of good hits, and what happens? I'm through because I sharpened the saw. I think we um, don't sometimes sharpen our saws because we don't have enough interaction with people in the kingdom. And you know what? Even people outside the kingdom who rub us the wrong way, when they're rubbing you the wrong way, they're just knocking off the rough edges. Yeah. And that's what makes you sharper. Yeah. There's an old saying about the cats. You know, if you're petting a cat backwards from the tail to the head, it'll turn around. Because it wants to be patted, pet from the head to the tail. I don't know anything about that because I don't do cats. But if that's the case... <laughs> If that's the case, then if somebody's rubbing you the wrong way, you probably just need to turn around. <laughs> it's probably something God's trying to do. We need this interaction with one another. And so that interaction with others sharpens us. So in the, in the Bible, I'm gonna, I've only got about seven more minutes here to finish this up. But in the Bible, there's a word that's used many times in the New Testament. It's the, it's the Greek word koinonia. You're going to say a Greek word with me today. Say koinonia. Very nice. Koinonia. Yes, it's not about money. It's not about coins. Uh, koinonia is a very colorful, dense word, as many Greek verbs are, often translated fellowship. Um, somewhat archaic word. It's a word that doesn't necessarily uh, show up a lot in normal conversation today, except in church fellowship halls. But it is an important word, and here's why. It means to share in common, to have contact with, to participate with or in, to commune with, to have friendship with, communication and compassion. All of this is tied up in that word koinonia. Why is that so important? Because without fellowship, our lives are much less than they are with fellowship, with koinonia, with this interaction with others. The interaction we have with others sharpens us, makes us more productive, makes us more useful, makes things easier in many ways in our lives. So today I only have two points. Nudge your neighbor and say, that's awesome. that's awesome. I only have two points with multiple subpoints. So the first point is this. First point is this, is that we need to have fellowship with God. And I have a verse for you. 1 John 1, 3 says this. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. When you think of that word koinonia, we have communication with God. We have interaction with God. We share something in common with God. What? That's mind-boggling. The word koinonia means to share something in common. And it says we have fellowship with the Father and we have fellowship with the Son. We have something in common with the Father and the Son. 
not in ourselves, but because of what Jesus did for us, he bridged the gap and allowed us to have common fellowship and common interaction. Check this out. Allows the nature of God to now live in us. And we have that in common. You know what you have in common with God? God loves this world, and we do too. God loves broken people, and we do too. God loves to see lives in the gutter brought out and transformed, and we do too. We love to see people's lives changed. It's what we're here for. It's what we do, yes? We have this in common with God. God is at work in this world, seeing lives transformed, and we are too. We have this in common. But that word koinonia also means friendship. You know what? When God looks at you, he sees a close friend. When he looks at you, he sees a close friend. He sees someone with whom he has a close, loving relationship. God's not angry with you. He holds nothing against you. He's not after you. He's looking for us to look to him so that the stuff that we carry can be relieved off of our lives so that we can be free. That's right, preacher, you go. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this. Check out 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful. Say those three words with me. God is faithful. Say it again. Say it until you believe it. God is faithful. He is. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. This is amazing. God is so faithful that he called us, he invited us. That's what called means. We have been invited to have fellowship with the son, to have friendship with Jesus, to have interaction with him, to have communion with him, to have something in common with him, to share his heart. Listen, we're not broken people sitting in a building hoping God would somehow overlook our missteps. We are people under the hand of God. In God's mind, in God's view, in God's eyes, we are whole, we're complete, we've been forgiven, we've been redeemed. God completely loves us, he accepts us, he holds nothing against us, and we have this wonderful privilege of walking in victory because God is faithful and he's invited us to have fellowship with his son. And in contact with his son, all the junk and all the crud of this world and this life falls off of us and we become free because God is faithful and he's called us into fellowship with his son. You know, I run across people all the time who, as a pastor, I run across people who are wondering about and questioning about and maybe think they know what God called them to do. There's this calling on my life and I have to do this calling, I have to do this thing. And I think sometimes we think of that as something very mystical, but here's the deal. You know what we're called to do? We're called to have fellowship with Jesus. We are called to make room to engage with Jesus in prayer, in Bible reading, in meditation, just sitting and being with him quietly, meditating, thinking on the goodness of God. After I read scripture, a lot of times I just sit and think about what I've read, especially in the gospels. I read stuff that Jesus did in the life that he lived and the places he went and the things that he said. And I put myself in the middle of that story and I sit and I think about it because I believe that's communing with him and understanding what he was wanting to say to us. I'm not quick enough to get it by reading it. I read it and then I think about it. I do the Lectio Divina. I think about it. I, 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 am, I embrace it. I engage in that. I believe that it's real. I believe it's for me. And I try to work it out in my life by letting him live in me because God's faithful. You all with me? He called us into fellowship. You know what the calling on your life is? To have fellowship with God. We are not going to figure out any other callings on our life until we embrace the calling of just hanging out with Jesus. The calling to pray, to study the scriptures, to be with him, to think about God's goodness in our lives. 1 John 1, 3 says this, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, 
And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. So that first, the last part of that verse we've already looked at, our fellowship with the Father and the Son. But the first part of it is so that we should have fellowship with one another. Listen, if I am having fellowship with Jesus, then I want to have fellowship with Jesus' people, his friends. If I'm a friend of Jesus, I want to hang out with the friends of Jesus. That's why you're here today. Yeah. True? That's why you're watching online. So we're hanging out with the friends of Jesus. And as we do that, there's again a transformation that takes place in our lives. So there's a transition in this verse that we've been talking about the first point, which is our fellowship with God. But now there's the transition of our fellowship with one another. And this engagement that we get to have with one another. And the fruit of that. How many believe that there's fruit in having fellowship with Jesus? Amen. Amazing fruit, right? It's a sharpening the saw moment. It's a moment for our lives to get back on track sometimes or to get redefined. I can't tell you how many times situations come along and I know in my mind exactly what I'm going to do until I go to prayer. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm praying about it and I'm thinking about it as I'm praying and suddenly I get this whole different idea, 180 degrees, totally different than what I was planning to do. And I walk away and say, thank God I took that minute. Because if I hadn't, if I'd have done the wrong thing. And I would have regret because I didn't carve out time and space for God to be able to speak in my life. So it moves over now to this interaction with one another. Is that important? Yes. I've had those same kind of experiences where I've talked with somebody about something and it completely sharpened my character and changed my perspective of something. That's the way it works. I will never understand everything about who God is. I got a little piece, you got a little piece. When we put our little pieces together, we make room for God to do something among us that he can't do with just one of us. God can do, do more with all of us than he can with just one of us. That's right. 1 John 1, 7. Check out 1 John 1, 7. I mean, you're, you're not responding as well as I thought, so I just throw that in there for you. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, speaking of Jesus, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's, this, there's an interesting connection of three different thoughts here. The first thought is us walking in the light as he is in the light. That's making room for fellowshipping with Jesus. We hang out with him, our darkness flees, we become filled with light. Yeah. Our discouragement goes and we become encouraged. Our depression goes and we feel like getting out and doing something for the kingdom when we hang out with Jesus, right? So we walk in the light as he is in the light. It says that we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from sin. A weird connection, walking in light, fellowshipping with others, and our sins being covered by the blood of Jesus. Three-pronged stool in this verse. If you think about it, as we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another because we're all in the light together. And there's something about that interaction with one another that allows Jesus to cleanse us of sin because sometimes it takes somebody else in the body to help us see where that sin is in our life. It's that process of iron sharpening iron and another edge getting knocked off and us becoming a little bit sharper. You know, we need people that we're, we're accountable to, people that we've given them permission to speak into my life. Hey, man, if you see me getting off track, tell me, say something. I need to know. And we don't need 50 people to do that. We need a couple people that we really trust that we can say, listen, I need you to hold me accountable. Need you to do it. And when somebody asks us to do that, we need to do it, but we need to do it with grace. We don't hammer on somebody because you know what? Next time it's going to be you getting hammered on. Because none of us are perfect. We're in a process here. Am I right about it? We want to invite you to join us on that process. So check this out. Look at verse Acts, uh, Acts verse, wow. Acts 2 verse 42. 
This is not as easy as it looks, I promise. <laughs> and they continued occasionally. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, let me start over. And they continued rarely. They continued when they felt like it. They continued sometimes. What's the word? Oh, thanks. I can't read that word. I didn't know what it was. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. So we talk about when you make something. Were they making room for fellowship there? Did it just happen? Heck no. What did they have to do? Well, number one, they had to sign up for community group. I'm sorry, is this on? So they had to sign up for community group. Secondly, they got on the camel. Thirdly, they punched into the GPS, the home of the, the host, home where they're going to go to community group. And then, and then they headed to the meeting, snacks in tow, because it's their turn to bring snacks. Cannot have a Christian meeting without food. It's impossible. It is physically impossible to do, right? So they, th this is what happened. They, they take off. They go across town. They go to this meeting. Check out that word steadfastly. Let's see what that word steadfastly actually means. Here's what it means. To endure, to remain somewhere or with someone, to continue uninterruptedly with someone, to cleave faithfully to someone, referring to those who continually insist on something or stay close to someone, it means to insist. So this idea about the, the apostles got together and they had koinonia, fellowship. It wasn't something like, well, maybe if I have time. They insisted on doing it. I insist. In other words, I insist that I must be engaged with people in the body of Christ because I need them and because I know they need me. We need this interaction with one another. That's why they'd mount their camels, set the GPS and ride across town to go to a meeting with a group of fellow believers because they knew that it was important. And look at the four things they did. I don't know if we can throw that, that verse back up there again for a moment, that previous verse. But look at the four things that they did. Number one, uh, the verse. That's the definition. Can we go one more back, please? I'm sorry to do this to you. There we go. Continue steadfastly in, first of all, the apostles' doctrine. How many believe that Bible doctrine is important? Yes. Now, when we get together, it's good to talk about the Word. That's why they went to community groups back then. Um, in the fellowship, that's just getting together, hanging out, being together, listening to each other. Right? Yeah. Listening. I said listening to each other. Yeah. You know something? I'm not going to learn anything today by speaking. I'm saying, I'm saying stuff I already know. You know how I learn? I learn by listening. And I should listen twice as much as I speak because I have two ears and one mouth. Somebody say, so why are you talking? Because it's time for me to preach. So here's the deal. So the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, being together and listening, breaking the bread. Didn't I tell you you got to eat? Breaking the bread and in prayers. So these four things are the four consistents that we find in our walk with God. We need to understand biblical doctrine. We need to have contact with one another. We need to have that moment of sharing a meal together, sharing food together, because there is something about that that brings a connection and a bond, and we need prayer. We need to pray together. And when we break all this down, my closing thought, when we break all this down, you think about the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that we're talking about in this Make Room series is about loving God and loving others. If I love God, I'm going to make room for him in my life. I love my wife, and I make all kinds of room for her in my life. I love my family, and I make room. I make time for them in my life. I love you, and I make room, and I make time for you in my life. That's why we're here, right? 
We make space for the things that we deem important. And we're either going to intentionally create space for things or we're going to live with regret. This commandment that God gave us, love, your neighbor, love, your, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God is easier than loving people because God's perfect. We isn't. We are far from it. True? It's easier to love perfection, especially a God that is far off and is, is so loving to us than it is to love people who are imperfect and right here in our space. But we have to carve out space, room, to love people because God does. I have one last quote that I want to share with you before we finish the message. Check out this quote. Last quote. Last slide, please. You will never look into the eyes of someone God does not love. Let me read that again. You will never look into the eyes of someone God does not love. You may not like their doctrine, but God still loves them. You may not like their politics, but God still loves them. You may not like how they present themselves, but God still loves them. You will never look into the eyes of someone whom God does not love. When we talk about making space for fellowship, what we're really talking about is making space to love those whom God loves. And God loves this broken world and everyone in it. And we get to be part of that. We got to be careful what we say and what we do because you will never respond on social media to someone that God does not love. Never look into the eyes of someone God does not love. We should be careful. We should carry the message of grace and love in every situation because that's what God wants to permeate this world with. For more information on New Covenant, contact us at 3318 Fifth Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa, 50501. Or you can call us at 515-955-6222.